Hi, everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Rudzeski, here with Greg Baer. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Dr. Karen L. Mapp, a senior lecturer on education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and the faculty director of Harvard's Education Policy and Management Master's Program. For two decades, her focus, both in research and practice, has been the cultivation of partnerships among families, educators, and communities in support of students and learning. In addition to lecturing at Harvard, Dr. Mapp is the author and co-author of several articles and books. And from 2011 to 2013, she served as consultant on family engagement to the United States Department of Education. Dr. Mapp, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. I'm glad to be here, thank you. So it seems that here in Pittsburgh and elsewhere, family engagement and community partnerships have, over the past few years, really come to the fore in education and learning. It is, to borrow a phrase from social media, sort of a trending topic. But not for you. You've been at this for more than two decades now. You've become one of the nation's foremost experts on it. Your work has reached schools and families across the country. I'm curious, how did family engagement and partnerships become the focus of your career? When I was working at Trinity College in Hartford, which actually is my alma mater, in the late 80s, they were looking for an admissions staff person who would really help them diversify the types of students that were applying to Trinity. Back in the 60s and 70s, they heavily recruited from a lot of the private schools in the New England area, and they fast became very interested in being a more diverse campus. What that job allowed me to do was to travel around the country and talk to high school students and talk to their families. And I think I was a sort of a budding researcher back then because I really liked asking a lot of questions about what these students thought really went to their educational success. All of the kids talked about their families. They talked about their grandparents, their aunties, their uncles, not just their biological family, their parents, but neighbors, adults in their lives who really had an impact on them. And sometimes these kids would say things that would make me laugh because they'd say, you know, they'd make that sound. My grandmother, you know, if I (laughs) didn't bring home the right grades, if I didn't get an A, you know, they'd be on me. And I started hearing these stories over and over and over again. My mentor, a wonderful gentleman by the name of Edgar Beckham, who was at Wesleyan for many years, I worked at the Ford Foundation for many years, and then I went to him and I said, I keep hearing this story about families. And so he said, this sounds like a dissertation topic to me. You know, if you really want to have an impact on families being recognized as an integral part of a child's educational success, and if you want any credibility, you're going to have to study it. And I went to the administrators and I say, the kids are really talking about the importance of your family. So how do you all connect with families? And I hate to tell you, I would get some funny looks. People would look at me and say, well, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. You know, we never see their parents, particularly when we're talking about families who came from economic circumstances that were stressful or if they came from immigrant family backgrounds or in some cases, there was a real disconnect between the staff and the families that they were a different ethnic group. So the administrators would say to me, you know, basically, what do you know? You're, you know, this college admissions person. You don't know our parents. 
our parents are this, our parents are that. And normally it'd be some pretty negative stuff that I'd hear. When I told Edgar this, he said, you know, I think this is really important and I think you should study it. So that's how I got started in the field of family and community engagement through the kids. And I did start asking them, do you think that the school and the family should be connected? And they say, absolutely. But a lot of times the schools ignore our families. And we're so glad you asked and you pursued this work. And a lot of us know at a gut level that families and caregivers matter, that all of us play a role in kids learning. And there's a lot of complex research out there, including your own, about what exactly high quality partnerships among families, communities, and educators can do for our young people. When someone asks you, you know, why family engagement is important, what do you tell them? What I do in my course, we start out the course by talking about what I call the chestnuts in the research on school, family, and community partnerships. A couple of that come to mind. First of all, the research of Kathy Hoover Dempsey and Howard Sandler. That was research that I used when I started looking at the reasons why families do or maybe do not lean into engagement with schools. One of the things I loved about their research was they said, you know, this usually has to do with a lot of external factors or the way people have been socialized to schools, and all that can be changed. A lot of the reaction that I got from school folks about why families weren't engaged, they sort of had this attitude, well, that it could not be changed, it could not be shifted. And what Kathy and Howard's research told me was, oh, there's circumstances that both the schools create and sometimes the community creates that really have an impact on how families relate to them. And so they talk about this concept of role construction, which is really like our job description. And, you know, a lot of times we signal to families, you know, stay out. It's our job as the educators to do the teaching and learning. We kind of just want you to show up for certain things. And so no wonder then when we do want families to be more engaged in their children's learning process, a lot of times families are caught off guard. So I thought that that was a real key piece of research. And you also see Kathy and Howard's work come up a lot when you look at other studies. Another study more recently that I think has had a serious and wonderful impact on how we've lifted up the importance of family and community engagement was the work that came out of the Chicago Consortium on School Research back in 2010. What these researchers did was they were trying to figure out why is it that some schools seem to be chronically underperforming and other schools succeed. Say we have a group of schools and we're giving them same resources or we make sure that the resources respond to equity issues in the schools and somehow or another, they just don't seem to be getting better. Why? What they found out was that there's actually a formula to school improvement. And there are five main ingredients which they call the five essential supports. That if you leave them out, you got a problem. For a school to improve, you need strong leadership. You need a strong staff from your custodial staff on up. You have to have a student-centered learning climate. I did some work in the Boston Public Schools. I was a deputy superintendent for family and community engagement. And to be quite honest with you, it was easy for me to tell when I walked into a building, whether it had a student-centered mm. learning climate or an adult-centered learning climate, right? 
You also have to have good, strong professional development. And guess what the fifth ingredient is? Family and community ties. So what this research did was it elevated the importance of family and community engagement. It said, hey, this is a key and essential ingredient to the improvement of your schools. And, you know, still it takes some convincing to get people to understand that family engagement, community engagement is not an add-on. It's not something you do sort of when you have time. It actually needs to be a part of any reform plan, any school improvement plan. You've got to have a strategic focus on family and community engagement. Interesting. So when we talk about family and community engagement, I think many of our minds, certainly mine, go to things like parent-teacher conferences or bringing in guest speakers, those sort of standard tools in our engagement toolkit. But it's so much more than that. The model you helped develop, the dual capacity building framework for building family school partnerships, aims to engage families as co-creators. Can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? What does it look like when families, educators, and communities are co-creating learning experiences together? I think the pandemic kind of forced us to be in that kind of dynamic with our families because if we weren't co-creating with families the kind of educational routines and activities that kids were going to do, nothing happened. So just on a real basic level, I think a lot about teachers who you've got these wonderful young people in front of you Wouldn't it be great if you knew a little bit more about each one of those children in a way that would help you with your teaching plans? I tell this wonderful story about a teacher who called me one time and she said, when I think about all the time I've wasted in my 15 years of teaching by not talking to families first about what are your child's strengths? What are your child's challenges? What are some of the things that your child likes? She told me the story about how first day of school, actually pre-COVID, how she had a conversation with a mom where she asked the mom, you know, she said, you are your child's first teacher. One of the parents said, look, I know my daughter is going to freak out the first day of school. I know it. She's nervous. She's scared. Let me tell you what she likes. She's absolutely positively in love with rabbits. (laughs) And if you can do something about rabbits when she walks in the door you'll have her well sure enough what the teacher did is she got like a little stuffed rabbit she pulled out every book she could find that had rabbits in it mom is bringing daughter to school daughter you know one of those scenes where daughter's wrapped around her leg you know how when kids do that they literally sort of wrap (laughs) themselves around your leg you can't pry them off they're screaming and the teacher got down on the floor sat on the floor and pulled out the bunny pulled out the bunny books, child unraveled herself from her mom's leg, came over to the teacher, teacher showed her the book, said, would you like more? There's more in the classroom. Off they went. Mom was in tears, by the way. And that little girl felt so heard and so seen and so did mom. You know, when we say co-design, they think, oh, this is some Harvard theory thing. No, no, no. It's simple. It's see your families as experts. Give them an opportunity to share what they know with you on a regular basis, because that also is going to develop trust. We love that. Invite that wisdom, respect it, accept it, use it. 
This is Greg right. Baer, along with Ryan Rudzeski. We're talking with Dr. Karen L. Mapp, Senior Lecturer on Education at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. So Dr. Mapp, at some point, the pandemic is going to be in our rearview mirror. And you've talked about this pandemic as a wake-up call. And we've seen some acceleration in positive learning moments, instruction, practice design in our schools over the course of this pandemic. And so when it comes to family and community engagement, what are some things that you've noticed that you want to see become normal on the other side of things? What is it that we can sustain? What is it that we can expand? How can our communities, our schools, our teachers seriously engage parents, families, and caregivers as learning allies in some of the ways that you just described? I think, Greg, you're familiar with the fact that I wrote an article with A.L. Bergman just recently for the Carnegie Corporation where we talk about the pandemics, both the COVID-19 pandemic and then also the racial injustices, how that's really served as a forcing function around family engagement. I do think that a lot of districts went from seeing families as spectators to the work of schools, and like it or not, they had to really see families as partners because there was really no education happening without families. So I've had a lot of practitioners say to me, this really made me see how much our families know, how much our families can do. And there's actually been some articles. Dr. Sonia Santelises in Baltimore had a piece where she talked about families as our partners because that's who they are and they've always been that way, but maybe we haven't been all that willing to accept that fact. I am really hoping that we're never going to go back to seeing families as just outsiders and spectators and people to be kept on the other side of the school fence and that we really see the power of having them as our educational partners. I think there's still people who aren't convinced of this, and I understand that it takes time, but I have seen this mindset shift about the value of engaging with families, about the value of partnership. I want to go back briefly to that notion of trust, because you've written that relationships have to start with trust. And as we've seen, unfortunately, repeatedly over the past year, particularly at places like school board meetings, trust is in short supply. And I'm wondering when educators come to you and say, I need help reaching families, or I want to start building trust with parents, or I want to start building trust with communities, what advice do you give them? You know, the trust piece, nothing happens without it. And if we don't spend time and energy and resources, and like you said, that intentionality on creating that relational trust where we respect each other and we feel each other as competent human beings and we have integrity, we tell each other the truth, and then we treat each other as human beings and not as objects, you have to spend time developing that kind of trust. And a lot of it happens with those one-on-one phone calls, those one-on-one meetings. There are certain initiatives that are out there now that are specifically designed to build this kind of trust. I don't know how many times I've gotten calls from districts that say, you know, we, we started this reading initiative and, you know, it didn't work. We put together the packets and then when we tried to get families to either come pick up the packets or to sign up for the program, nobody showed up. And I said, okay, so... How did you work with families to build trust? And there's often, you know, crickets, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you mean? I said, well, did you 
call families and ask them how they were doing during or after the pandemic. And did you share stories about how you're doing? And did you talk to them as human beings? What did you do to get to know each other? Because you can't skip over that step and then just throw a packet in front of families or expect them to sign up for things. They need to know you. You need to know them. And so this is why these intentional relational phone calls that a lot of districts are making now or relational home visits, that's the intention of that, breaking down some of those barriers because, you know, unfortunately, a lot of our families haven't had great experiences with our schools. Many of them, when they were kids, did not have great experiences with our schools. And so consequently, sometimes there's generational trauma. Uh, Sue Hung, one of my colleagues and friends, talks about that. You've got to break that stuff down first, and the only way to do that is to really be intentional about cultivating relationships of trust and respect. Dr. Mapp, you teach a course at Harvard called The Why, What, and How of School, Family, and Community Partnerships. And as part of this course, you introduce your students to what you call promising practices, strategies being implemented by schools and districts to cultivate and sustain the family partnerships about which we've been speaking. So can you share just a glimpse into this class, a master class in the next minute or two about some that maybe surprised you, whether for the potential, their ingenuity, or perhaps their simplicity? Well, I want to talk about one I just mentioned because there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about home visits. There are a lot of different kinds of home visits that are happening around the country This is a home visiting initiative that is really based on an organizing platform. And in organizing, we have a strategy called one-on-one meetings. And again, this is where the primary purpose is for you to listen, to listen to the person talking about what's important to them, what their challenges are. It's not to come in and tell them how to do X, Y, or Z or to evaluate them on some measure and you know some of the other home visiting initiatives around the country are more designed to come in and train parents or teach families that's not what this is about at all this is about building that relationship that we've been talking about and the way that it works is that teachers they do home visits with parents these are scheduled visits these are not surprises ever do it at the home, you could do it at the local library or the local McDonald's or Denny's, where the parent says they'd like to be met. And the whole idea is to build a relationship and get to know each other. So the questions that teachers ask have to do with, what are your hopes and dreams for your child? What are the kinds of things that you envision for them? And how can we work together on those goals? And expect that I'll be calling you because I need to pick your brain and get information from you about your child, whether they're in kindergarten, ninth grade, 12th grade. Those are the kinds of home visits that I think that I've seen really make a difference. I think families feel seen. It's very important when we think about how a lot of times our teachers don't live or come from the neighborhoods uh, that they're teaching in. It's a wonderful way for them to really get to know families' values and their cultures and maybe even bring some of that into the classroom. Teachers have to be trained how to do these kinds of visits. The training includes conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging so that teachers start to feel more comfortable and more aware of perhaps some of their biases about the neighborhoods that they're about to visit. But I really like that strategy. I think that it's a very, very important one. 
Dr. Mapp, thank you. How can people find out more about you and your work and your research? Well, they can always Google me. Um, <laughs> and if they do that, they're going to come up probably with my Harvard information. But there's also quite a bit of information that talks about some of the talks that I've done. The other thing is, is that people, if they want to know more about the dual capacity building framework for any schools or districts or programs or organizations or foundations that are interested in learning more about the how-to of family engagement, you can look up information about the framework, www.dualcapacity.org, and that will give you not only an explanation of the framework, but we also, it's an interactive site, so a lot of times we have people who have great ideas and want to share what they're doing. They also have an opportunity to put some information about that on the site as well. Dr. Matt, before we go, just one more question. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? To see each other as partners and to cultivate that relationship as partners and not see each other as enemies, that's going to really go a long way in being able to make sure that our schools and our children are successful. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning, a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignite engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org slash tomorrow.